Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Ben Bilbro. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks very much. We're excited to have Ben. Ben is a serial entrepreneur and uh, has a 20 plus year local, he's a 20 plus year, I should say, local media veteran, and you'll get a feel for that as we talk about what he's done in his career. Uh, in 1999, he created and implemented the innovative local advertising model at The Knot. He'll explain that business, The Knot, uh, which continues to generate much of that business's revenue to this day, that campaign or, or um, uh, advertising model, rather, that he put together there. Ben is passionate about creating marketing solutions that help local businesses be more successful. So this show is perfect for the small business owner, and uh, we're going to chat about not only Ben's entrepreneurial journey, but some very valuable tips and advice on local advertising and marketing. He's the founder and CEO of Adverator, and Adverator is, um, is a company that helps with local advertising for small business owners, and he's gonna explain that business model. It's rather unique and compelling. I had a chance to chat with Ben about a week ago about this and started to understand it, so we're gonna dive into that. He lives in Connecticut, commutes into New York City, which is where his offices are. And so we're excited. Ben Bilbro, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. All righty. So let's, uh, let's start at the beginning before we dive into the advertising business model that you offer small business owners. Now, let's, let's talk about you and your journey, if we could. Uh, you went to Syracuse University, if I got that right. And what did you major in there? So I was a, a law and public policy major. Um, but it, if you ask my parents, I majored in crew. I was <laughs> on the rowing team. And, uh, and as, a, as an 18 year old, I was, it, was my, it was my obsession. Like I, I rowed in the National Sports Festival and then you know, uh, lots of, um, of international competitions as well. And it was really, Syracuse was the right place for me because I could focus on crew and still kind of get through college. However, I'm assuming it's a season is rather shortened by winter or when is the crewing season? I don't I don't follow it very much, but I know a little bit about it. It's yeah, it's the spring and the fall, but the coaches don't let you off the hook. <laughs> like if you're a yeah, if you're a scholarship oarsman at Syracuse, you're or at any of the colleges actually, you are in the gym and in the rowing tanks all winter nice. and then you're you know, doing short races in the spring, long races in the fall. Yeah, it's 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 a year-round thing. And you did it all four years that you were there. I did actually. I actually started in high school, wow. um, and uh, and got got the bug in high school. Um, but you know, it, as much as anything else, crew has taught me so much about like this, the the perseverance of of business that it's just it's showing up and doing the same thing over and over again and getting better all the time that's so much of the formula of success so yeah i love that do you still do it at all now i don't actually um you know it's funny there's there's certainly clubs for you know for uh for masters as they call them but uh i just i don't i don't at the moment i'm a i'm a gym rat but not a not a rower yeah no i understand definitely I'm glad you made the point about how it translates that discipline that you learned and sticking to something and getting uh just gradually better and better and better right that gradual improvement that adds up over time i'm sure all those are takeaways that you apply today in your business i suspect 
Absolutely. Try something a little different and measure it. Try it and measure it. Like that's the that's the whole that's the whole game. Yeah. So law and public policy. What did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? I, honestly, I thought I wanted to be a diplomat. Interesting. <laughs> that was my. Um, I, I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but my my favorite professors all sort of emphasized diplomacy. And uh, instead, as soon as I was done with college, I started a dry cleaning delivery business, which <laughs> in the in the pre-internet days was kind of novel. But um, yeah, that was my that was my first foray into being an entrepreneur. And that was right out of college. You started that business, or shortly yeah. thereafter. So yeah. did you did you think and aspire to be? When when did it go from being a diplomat to being an entrepreneur? You know, this was the this was the late '80s, and so much of like our culture at that point, if you think about it, think back to then, it was all about the sort of yuppie culture of like acquiring things and, you know, perception, which of course is, you know, I work with a bunch of millennials now and they don't relate to that at all. Right. But uh, yeah, it was, it was more like I found a thing that I could sort of dig into and make an impact on very quickly. And it gave me great, uh, you know, financial reward. So that was enough for me as a, as a 20 year old. Yeah, and so what did you do with that business? Um, I ran into the ground actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because I, uh, because I was probably not old enough or mature enough to be to, to take on what I had started, and uh, so I went from that to uh, to publishing. Actually, I, I got married. My wife and I moved from from Syracuse, where we had met, to Baltimore, and uh, through a series of coincidences, ran into some folks that were starting a magazine, and we threw in our lot with them. And started, um, you know, started this this magazine it was called Maryland Bride Magazine, hmm. and that uh, that was sort of my first like foray into the local advertising arena and really sort of understanding like what that pain point is for small businesses because I met with hundreds of small businesses. Yeah, that's interesting how you, you you identified that back then, and that ends up being as we'll get to in a moment what you're helping to serve small business owners with now. Uh, but the publishing thing just it, that just connected with you, I guess. Well, it did because, again, as as you know, as a small business person, one of the things when I started this dry cleaning business, which was again for for that era, unique for now, it seems quaint. But <laughs> this whole concept of like, like how can you take an existing thing that people do and need and add value and improve it in a way that they can, you know, they'll prefer to use your service over somebody else's. So our concept was we struck deals with all the local businesses that were within basically walking distance of my my downtown Syracuse location, and uh, and and offered you know people the ability to come to uh, to just drop off their dry cleaning in the closet of their uh, of their office building, and we would swing by every day and pick up the bags and deliver them, deliver the clothing back and all. And so this concept of prepaying for a service in exchange for for convenience was a new one. But I learned then how hard it was to engage customers. Mm. Like it was, it was tough to like, no matter how good your idea was, it was really tough to engage consumers that were either entrenched in what they were doing or just didn't have the bandwidth to hear you. Um, and so when I got into the magazine business, I really related to those those advertisers, those people that were you know that I was trying to help. Yeah, and when you say engage, you mean just, just putting your message out there and hoping to have some kind of engagement with that perspective customer who might be using something else, maybe your competitor or hadn't even thought about what you're offering, that whole getting it out there and how we struggle as small business owners to how do I effectively communicate that 
without, you know, without the budgets of a large organization. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I mean, it's, you know, when you, when you meet and talk to small business people, and again, through my career, I've, I've probably spoken to, if not thousands, many, many hundreds of small business owners and people that do the marketing for small businesses. And it really is like the ones that are most passionate about the business that they have and what they're trying to achieve with it and how they're trying to serve people are the ones that are probably most frustrated with advertising mm. because they feel like innately how good their service can be and you know to help whoever their customers are and they want to try to translate that into advertising and sometimes advertising foils them you know it's sort of that's the blocker like it's the the form factor of advertising gets in the way of what they really are trying to say to customers and i can really relate to that yeah so, so related to that ben i'd like to ask you this go off on a tangent here perhaps because I think related to that, what confuses and paralyzes small business owners, including myself, is now we've got this whole social media platform to contend with. And we're being told to an extent, and I'm not saying it's there's not validity in some of it, that that's where we should be focusing. And yet when I look at the big guys, the big organizations, it seems like they're still doing what we might have termed as more traditional print ads and commercials and, and communication that's much more one way yet as a business owner, I'm being told, oh no, you have to engage in a conversation. And so I see a disconnect there. Do you, do you understand where I'm going with that and why, it, why it's frustrating for a small business owner? Absolutely. And, and I think one of the things that, and, and Henry, you're spot on with this because that's, I think that's one of the things when I listen to your, your podcast and you talk about your business, you're very introspective about what it is you're trying to actually achieve with your advertising as opposed to doing it because you should or thinking first about the method of communication and only then thinking about what you're trying to say, which of course is the wrong way to do it, right? Like you guys are on to like, you know, the, the, the approach really is, and this is the conversation that we have with indirectly at this point, um, but this is a conversation that we have with a lot of our customers is think about where you fit into that consumer's experience and market there. Mm -hmm. So you talked about the big companies that are doing basically brand advertising. Well, that's what they're trying to achieve. They're not saying right now you need a Coke. So if I can put the, if I can put a Coca-Cola message in front of you right now, you'll go out and buy a Coke. They're saying, I want you to be so familiar with my brand or have a perception of my brand that when it's time, when you do eventually decide to make a purchase, you'll choose my brand, of course. And we're all led by that. Like, and if you don't think it's true, ask yourself, when's the last time you bought a brand of toothpaste you never heard of? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, right? Like that's, that's a great explanation of it. And I think that's exactly what we struggle with is we're, we are told the small business owners well, first of all, we don't have typically the budgets to go about a branding campaign only in the traditional definition of it. And we're going to get to that because I know that's a big topic you and yeah. I had discussed in the pre-call about how do you combine both and that you can combine both. But that's exactly to my point as you're explaining is that the big guys, the guys with the big budgets that are measuring this stuff and having success know that it is about creating that top of mind awareness that brand that then when I do act on it, I remember that brand. And so that's that's a key takeaway that we can't forget. Right. And, and it might or might not be relevant to everyone's business. And Good I think point. that's the, the question, the conversation you have to have with yourself is that, right? Like, is that relevant to my business? That's right. Yeah, good point. I mean, when I forward, my first business, for example, back in the early 90s was a pizza delivery franchise. Well, as much as I struggled and tried to build a brand, at the end of the day, my consumer, I came to realize very painfully, 
uh, was reacting to whether they had a coupon from me or not. And that was really the driver because they were trying to put dinner on the table for a family at the least expensive price. And the reality is that kids to a kid, pizza is pizza is pizza, right? Um, and so that, I learned that lesson early on. And again, to your point, it depends on the business that you have, whether you should spend that extra effort on branding or not. Right. And, and the, the beauty of the time that we live in right now is that if really what you want to, if, if really where your customers should come from is that moment of intent, like no one ever thinks about having their gutters repaired until you need your gutters repaired. And then you go searching for somebody to help you do that. Well, I would argue that a gutter repair business probably would not be smart to spend their money on brand awareness because most people are, you know, it's not going to resonate with most people until they need their gutters repaired. So, you know, like if you recognize that in your business and you act on that, then you'll probably make smart advertising decisions using search and, you know, Google and Angie's list and, you know, things where it really is where, where the moment of intent is what you need to, uh, where, where, when you need to be present. Yeah. Great, great clarification there. All right, let's bring it back, though, before we get too far ahead. So what did you end up doing with the Maryland Bride publication? <clears throat> well, fortunately, um, we sort of launched the magazine at the right time, and somebody came along that was putting together a collection of regional wedding magazines across the country ah, and bought it. Nice. Um, so I made the leap to that country, eventually ended up running sales for them. We grew that to about 17 local magazines across the country. And we sold that to a company called Prime Media. Um, and ultimately, after Prime Media, I, uh, I realized that corporate America wasn't for me. Uh, and that I really, I like startup. I, I like solving problems that you can actually come and work on every day. Um, so I went to a company called The Knot. And that's a, uh, a wedding website. You know, a lot of people have heard of it. It was uh, in the in Internet 1.0, when you know when the first bubble was being inflated, right. um, the knot was like all things wedding. Nice. It was actually like the Today Show had you know like it was Today ties the knot you know with our our uh, our spokesperson on it and all, um, and uh, and that was a really interesting. That was an interesting challenge because most of the people that could benefit from advertising through the knot. So the, I'm sorry, let me do a little clarification. The knot was where engaged couples, brides and grooms would go and they'd find information about and also resources for all the services that they needed to plan a wedding. Okay. Of course, that's a huge, as you know, it's a huge spending spree. Right. And you got to buy a dress and caterer and limo and DJ and all that stuff. So my challenge at the knot was how do I get the the, the tens of thousands of small businesses across the country that are that provide those wedding services. How do I get them to be part of the knot experience? So when a bride's looking for, you know, a catering hall, they show up on the knot, and that was the model that uh, that I created with some with some friends there. Okay, yeah. Um, so I want to go back to thanks for clarifying that. But I want to go back to what you said about the corporate environment and why that didn't work for you. But but actually. That's my question. What is it about that environment that you had gotten to a point that it just didn't work for you? Um, I, th I think a lot of corporate organizations are, are, are too focused inward. They're more about what they do sort of within their walls than they are really about the customers that they serve. And that's, that works really well for some people. 
but I think a lot of your listeners can probably relate to this. Like they're far more interested in like doing real work that has an impact and less about impressing a boss who has to impress their boss, who has to impress their boss and that type of thing. Um, and that, that ultimately was what sort of rubbed me the wrong way that it wasn't like the, the innovation and the work and the, you know, the, the value that you could bring was rigidly controlled within a structure. Um, and, um, and prime media was very much like that. I mean, yeah. prime media doesn't exist anymore. So I can, <laughs> <laughs> can speak of them this way, but I think as part of it is that what I've experienced is when you get to that size, that corporate environment tends to now be designed to protect what you have, not just the in, inside domains and chiefdoms and, and all of that, but just to, to protect that beachhead that the organization has. And it becomes more about that than to grow and expand. Absolutely. And, and when you're talking about growing and expanding, it's always in abstract terms like, yeah. you know, revenue goals for this quarter, right. which, you know, again, are important to share with stockholders. But they ideally shouldn't be the things that are that are um, you know, driving your business decisions and helping, you know, and directing your company. Yeah. OK, so then um, you've got Media Max Network. Tell us about that venture. Sure. So so the knot went public in 1999, which was a happy event for everybody. Um, and within a few years, you know, the knot, the knot sort of took on its own sort of corporate identity. And, and I really realized I learned at the knot that that what I really liked doing was like building and growing things. And so, um, you know, as the knot sort of settled into a very successful ongoing concern, I realized I, I didn't have the same, the same latitude and the same opportunities within it as I did elsewhere. So with some colleagues, we started a company called MediaMax Network. And MediaMax was kind of unique in that we took, we, we basically created the ability to offer local market advertising in national media brands. Um, our original business plan for it was was really kind of narrowly defined by certain verticals. Like we thought that if we could create really interesting media opportunities for um, restaurants or uh, you know senior citizen sector or whatever, um, that 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 would be appealing to to small businesses. What we very quickly found was that when we took name brand national media. Um, and the, the company that we actually worked with very closely was Condé Nast. So we took all the Condé Nast media and we made it available in local markets. Um, really, who was interested <laughs> were all of the big companies that wanted to do local market advertising. You know, so right. the fact that you could advertise, you know, if you're an airline, if you're JetBlue and you, you start first class service just in L.A. and, and New York, um, you'd love to be in the media that you know and trust, but you'd really like to be in just in the markets where that message has resonance. Um, so that's what we found. We found that it was what, what we had started out as a business that we thought would help small businesses really quickly became uh, co-opted by you know bigger companies and bigger agencies that wanted to use that that uh, you know that technology for theirs. And we of course went right along with them because they were the ones that you know like that's how the business sort of grew and, uh, and we were, you know, we were excited about that. And then what happened with that business? Well, I, um, to make a, a long story short, I, I, about 10 years into it, kind of started to develop that wanderlust again. And, and <laughs> fortunately or otherwise, the, you know, in 2007 and eight, 
the world took a serious turn away from the kind of business that we had created. Uh, luxury was a dirty word, and if you remember back then, you know. But, uh, and a lot of our customers were in the luxury advertising business, and that forced us to really like look deep and say, like, how can we take this infrastructure that we've built and repurpose it for you know a different audience that isn't so affected by the downturn in the economy? So I created a business within MediaMax that was called iCity Certs, and that reignited my my sort of my entrepreneurial uh, spirit. That like building a thing from scratch with a website and a whole new business plan. Um, fast forward in time, about two years later, I sold that business unit to another company here in New York, and as part of that uh, that um, acquisition, I agreed that while I still you know owned and ran MediaMax, I would um, I would go to uh, I would go to their office and help them integrate it for a year, and that that series of events you know really sort of rekindled my my goal, which led us ultimately to Adverator, which was how do we solve local advertising for small businesses in a really big, significantly different way? Um, and that's that's what kind of brought me here. Yeah. And if I've been following correctly, it's almost like it was the the flip side of now having local small businesses to be able to be able to publish to, to be able to advertise in what has previously been really the domain of larger organizations. Still still in my local market, but it's almost like I see it as the flip of what you were doing with MediaMax, if I'm following right. Yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, it's like MediaMax was created and it allowed big companies to do local market advertising. Right. And then I, I really wanted to try to figure out how could we, how could we take the thing that we originally built for small businesses and and, but to which small businesses weren't that interested. Like, how do we create something that that's really, you know, that's really like uses that same approach, but really generates great value for them? Right. And it allows now the small business owner in my local market to place an ad in a high end magazine, let's say, that I may not have I may not even known was even accessible to me for my budget. That's one of the things, yeah. Like yeah. that—that's—that was the thing that we sort of tested to begin with. Okay, so so launching Adorator, obviously, or let me just ask the question: Did you fund the, that startup yourself? Obviously, it was a it was part of the previous company, so it had already been started. So you had that advantage, and then you've taken now and grown it. Have you done that? Are you the sole equity owner of it, or do you have partners? No, my partners, my partners that helped that that I founded MediaMax with um, are are my my co-owners of Adverator. They don't have operating roles in it because they're you know they're still running MediaMax. I see. Um, so, but we did spin it off as an entirely separate company. But they are they are now investors in Adverator. Okay. Um, so yeah. Do you work better by yourself or in partnership? <laughs> that depends who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> What, the, I, you know, the reason I ask that question is there's a lot of people, for me, I've had to come to realize that I work best in partnership. With, of course, it's got to be with someone whom I trust and respect, and I've had good partnerships and I've had bad ones. But then there are other people who, who are very much lone wolves, and everybody has to kind of find who they really are and figure that out on their own. But I was curious as to what your perspective is. You know, that's a, that's actually a really good question. I, I would probably, if I snuck up on that question, I would probably say that my preference is to work by myself, but it's only because I'm a control freak. Okay. Um, like I, like 
if I if I become fixated on a way to do things and I think it's the right way, I'm hell bent on like on going that direction and going through and, and like making that thing happen. Um, in hindsight, though, if I look at it, like I've been tremendously supported by the people that I partnered with, you know, and and uh, so like. Ha- Actually, I hit. I trusted that original instinct of go it alone. I probably would not have been as successful as I've been. Um, and here at Adverator, I've got brilliant partners. I mean, I've got people that like I trust implicitly. Yeah, I think that in my experience, certainly for me and most entrepreneurs I speak to, we all tend to be control freaks. But we have to learn at some point, even if it's not through partnership, to to delegate. And obviously, you've figured that out, or you wouldn't have been able to grow to the point that you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect that you're probably a control freak now when it comes to the vision and direction of your business. But from an operations perspective, you've got to let go of some of that. Is that fair? Yeah. And, and truly, I'm not even that interested in operations. Like I, I, I feel like I'm probably one of my strong suits as a leader is that I, I consistently and persistently convey the direction and the message. So everybody's got it drummed into their heads. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that, that, um, when I ran small businesses that were never really able to be, or never really had the potential, potential to get large, I think that was the thing that was missing. Like, you know, like when, when Amazon became, you know, when Amazon started out, like, yeah, they were selling books, but there was always this vision of like, we're building a form factor that will be, will be, you know, scalable and huge and have the ability to do that. And that's, I think, the thing that I've kind of come to maybe a little later in my career is that if you don't loudly and consistently communicate like this is the big vision, this is where we're going, then people tend to fill that that vacuum on their own, yeah. you know, with what their their own perception of what the business is or should be. Yeah, I've observed that as well. Uh, how many employees are you all at now? So we're at 13 full time employees and five part time Um and we're really, you know, we're just kind of getting started. Um, yeah, Averator was like incorporated in in uh, January of 2016, um, so we've got about 12,000 people that are that, are, that are, you know using the service now. Although we've been sort of flying under the radar, as you know, for the last right. year. Right. So one of the reasons I asked that question is you've done this before. At what point does it start to worry you related to what you just talked about, which I kind of term the, the culture? that vision that everybody's on the same page on. It's easier to do that when you're small. At some point it gets harder and harder. What is that number in your experience? And obviously we're just talking guidelines here. Yeah. You know, at the not, we felt like that number was about a hundred. Okay. When you got to a hundred, a hundred people, you could sort of keep the herd all aimed in the right direction. When you got beyond that, you really needed to put some institutional systems in place that sort of that used you know more than just communication personal communication that used more like process and structure to sort of make sure that everybody was aimed the right direction right you have to and then it starts to smell more corporate doesn't it yeah it does and i i have to say um we probably don't have time for it today but you know but one of the things that, that has been a real like breakthrough for us here at Adverator is that we've adopted a role-based um, corporate culture, you know, like rather than job descriptions and managers and hierarchical things, it's entirely role-based, which I hope gets us beyond the hundred point of, you know, of, of sort of losing the, 
the message. Um, I'm not going to, we're not a holacracy, but we're of that same ilk, you know, that, that same kind of thing where people come to work every day. They know not just their accountabilities, but their authority. Mm-hmm. And so that tends to lead people to be very satisfied in their work. They're not like griping about a boss because oh, if it was my way, I would do it this way. Like they know the authority that they have to act on the accountabilities that they've been assigned. Yeah, I love that. That's a great takeaway. But I have to think also that it's similar to what might happen eventually is similar to what you did with MediaMax, which is at some point you felt like, all right, I need to break off this piece here and kind of start it all over. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. And, and hopefully you, you will grow it. Obviously, there are plenty of examples of companies that have gone beyond that hundred number and have been able to maintain that culture. It's a challenge, but it can be done. We've touched on a little bit, which is advertising for small business owners. I think maybe where we'd start is give us that, that next level of clarification on what it is that you're providing small business owners with AdVerator. Sure. All right. So, so the, the thing that has compelled me probably at least for the last 10 years, is sort of looking at the fact that from a small business owner's perspective, advertising is fundamentally frustrating, right? Like, and, and Henry, you know this from your business, like there's, there's no clear way that you can sort of understand all the options that are out there and then weigh and balance which ones might make sense for your business. And, and that's, that's, really unlike almost everything else that you're doing as a small business owner. Like if you want, if you want office supplies, but like you figured out in the first 10 minutes of being in business that there's all kinds of online resources that let you figure out, let you compare prices and compare, you know, service. If you want insurance, if you want, if you want to hire people, technology has fixed all those things. Like all those things that you maybe weren't even thinking about when you started your business, like they're not, they're not the reason you became a gallery owner or a restaurateur, but there's still things that you have to do. Payroll, insurance, all that stuff. But you very quickly found out that technology has fixed those for you by curating and sort of aggregating them a whole bunch of choices for you, except for advertising. And that's really like that was sort of the dawning moment for us at Adverator about a year and a half ago when we, we sort of realized that if we could make local market advertising something that you shop for as opposed to something that gets sold to you mm. th- that would change you know fundamentally how small business people think about advertising right because today at least in, in my experience you might go and hire somebody to help you with your overall marketing and part of that might be a tactical advertising plan but often that comes at a big price because it's part of a bigger package or for example, we've gone off and hired a radio ad broker, but now that person's focus is on radio and that's all they want to sell me because they're being compensated for that. But to your point, there really hasn't or isn't a marketplace where I can go and make some comparisons and decisions based on within my budget to be able to now place an ad in what might have previously been unaccessible to me at a local level. Exactly. Exactly. And, and even some media that is accessible to you at a local level, but wouldn't it be nice if you could write from one, like from your, from your desk that you could sort of put all those things together and not that you, not that you'd become a media buyer, because again, that's like, that's not really what small business people are trying to do. They're just trying to understand what their options are and then try some of the ones that they think make sense for them. And again, we're, you know, kind of circling back a little bit to what we talked about earlier. 
we're definitely like Adverator at the moment is really more built for that small business that wants to have some some market familiarity. Okay, so restaurants are a good example. If you're a diner on the corner, your marketing probably isn't about your brand. Your marketing is about awareness, right? You want to make sure that people, you know, within you know a mile or two around your diner know that you're there and know that your food is good and all the rest of it. But if you're a fine dining restaurant, well, your circle's bigger, and you really want people to understand that your restaurant is worth the trip, right? So that that puts that that fine dining restaurant closer to the brand marketing message than the diner, right? Right. That, right. Yeah. Now, now I'm painting an experience that you're going to have when you come to my particular establishment, and why it's different than you know the 20 other choices you might have on the same street. Yep. Yep. Okay, now, and I'm sorry to have interrupted there. So did, was there another point you wanted to make on that? No, not at all. Okay, but, but so conversely, though, the diner has a different, uh, a different objective, and that is, yeah, I want to get my name out there, that I'm a diner serving Coppell where I live, and I'm open for lunch and breakfast, but I've also got this special on Tuesday because Tuesdays is slow, and I'm trying to drive more traffic or a call-to-action message, and Talk to me about combining those two because that's such a big struggle for a lot of small business owners as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, and that, and that's really what sort of Adverator allows small businesses to do, that we give them access to the type of media that will help give their brand context. Okay, so like, again, let's using our restaurant example, just because it's convenient, we've already started down that path. If I'm a fine dining restaurant in, in Philadelphia, and I run an ad in the newspaper, I'm reaching eyeballs, but I'm not necessarily giving people context of like what kind of restaurant I am. Now I can do that with my creative, right? Like if I have a beautiful, elegant ad, I can, I can sort of overcome the fact that people aren't seeing my message in context with my creative, but it's, it's really a lot easier if I can just appear in media that helps me define my my brand. So if I'm a local restaurant and I can have an ad in Food and Wine magazine or in Bon Appetit or in Travel and Leisure or in some media that has already sort of set a tone for that, you know, for that that reader, then that's way easier, right? So now I can run an ad for my special, like maybe not the diner because the diner doesn't really want to be in Bon Appetit magazine, but if I'm a fine dining restaurant in Philadelphia, and I want to talk about like, hey, book your holiday you know, parties now, or don't forget it's restaurant week in Philadelphia, and this is our restaurant week special that we're offering. Doing that in Bon Appetit magazine and reaching that reader that's already predisposed to like fine dining is a far smaller lift than reaching out to strangers and trying to figure out like, all right, of all you people, who are the fine diners and how do I reach you and how do, how do I communicate to you? Yeah, yeah, they've already done that and I'm tapping into that. But is it realistically affordable to that one-off restaurant owner? Well, that's the beauty of technology. So just to, you know, Bon Appetit magazine, again, is that a, as an example, a full page ad in that magazine nationally is about $140,000. So when you're, Casually at home, flipping through your copy of Bon App, and you see that ad for Mercedes or, you know, for uh, Thermidor ranges. That's they spent $140,000 to be in there. But if all you want to reach is just the part of it, just the people that read that magazine in Philadelphia, 
that might only be two or three percent of that circulation. And that's the technology that we've developed that allows us to deliver a full page ad in Bon Appetit just in Philadelphia. And typically that price is well under two thousand dollars. Yeah, very, very affordable for what you're going to reach and the impact that it could make for your business at a local level. Right. I think that a lot of small business owners are just not even aware that that's even uh, a capability, that that's, a, that's the result of technology and the way periodicals are printed nowadays. And I, I'd be surprised or wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people don't even understand that that's accessible to the small business owner, to the local small business owner. Yeah, I mean, our experience has been that they, that they don't, like yeah. that most people don't realize that. And also, you know, here's like the truth is, and again, Henry, you know this from being a small business owner, the way you hear about most advertising is that somebody comes and knocks on your door right. or emails you or calls you and says, let me tell you why my media is going to solve all your problems. Um, and and Adverator is not in that business. Adverator is far more like Amazon. Mm-hmm. So our, our challenge for reaching small business people is just raising awareness of it. Yeah, because on the flip side of that, Bon Appetit is not going to be contacting me to place an ad. I need to come find them, and that's what you're providing is a ability for me to compare them to the others in my local space that I might want to consider as well and make a decision on what's the best, what's the best for my budget and for my type of business. Yes, Exactly right. And now, that's go, go and that's where we started. Yeah. So that's like where we started with, with Aberator was with magazines. And what we started out with was 14 magazines. And now we've grown to like 55 magazines. So as a small business owner, if magazine advertising is something that makes sense for you and you go to Aberator, you'll find that it, everything from entrepreneur to Forbes to fortune to money to time to Oprah, like almost any magazine you can think of, we made available locally in 109 local markets across the country. But now it's beyond magazines, correct? Absolutely. So we started with magazines. We very quickly then added the website companions to it. So if you'd like to be on housebeautiful.com, in Tucson, Arizona, in the month of May, you can have a banner ad, you know, display banner ad on that national website, but just in Tucson for the month for about $300. Yeah, it's compelling. Um, all right, so the other thing I made a note of, and we chatted about this when we did the pre-interview call, is that where I also find small business owners hit a wall is, okay, now this is all accessible to me, but now I got to create this ad, the creative of it, right? I, I kind of maybe do it myself uh, before, maybe I have a graphic artist, but that's where I suspect a lot of business owners hit a wall. What do you see uh, and how do you see that business owners solve that problem? Well, again, the beauty of technology right now is that things that were Difficult and expensive, even five years ago, have gotten really, really affordable and, and you know, and able to be like accessible to the to a larger group of people. Um, so one of the things that we've done is um, now l- let me just clarify this a little bit. I would say most of the people that are coming to Adverator are are already advertisers of some sort. Maybe they've done direct mail, maybe they've done newspaper ads, billboards, something. When they come to Adverator, they already sort of have a marketing message that they're comfortable with or that they've created. And what we often find ourselves doing is just formatting that for them so it fits whatever new media they want to try, right? So um, so let me just real quick. So magazine advertising on the website now, display advertising on websites, um, transit advertising on, um, on train lines, 
you know, so if, you know those. If any of you live in big cities, that whole you know the those posters that you see inside the train that I stare at every day for two hours right. on my way to and from Connecticut. Right. <laughs> Um, those we've made available locally to small businesses um, and direct mail. Um, I'm forgetting one. Uh, that, well, that, that's what it is. Uh, so we're and we're adding new media all the time. But what we find most people have is they have some marketing message. They just sort of need it reformatted, and we handle that for them. They simply upload their creative, and then we, you know, reformat that ad so it works with the new media and then let them come and approve it. Yeah, that makes sense. It leads me to the, the related question, though. You recommend then, of course, before I, as a small business owner, do anything like this, as it applies to any form of marketing advertising, I should probably have a plan in place, right? Yeah, and, and that's really, I mean, that's where we see probably the most success. Like, Adverator is definitely not for everyone. Like they're like the you know the the guy that owns the drugstore on Main Street is pro like he, he, there are things that he could use Adverator for but that really shouldn't be his mainstay, and the thing that we sort of on the website too counsel everyone to do is just stop before you make a decision about it, and really decide like what is it you're trying to achieve with your advertising and if it's you're trying to raise awareness so people know your brand when it's time to make a decision, we can be brilliantly helpful with that. But if what you're trying to do is, um, you know, do like very specific direct marketing type of things, we're adding new products for that now, like a direct mail product. But think about, think before you choose your media, what's what's the outcome that you're looking for? And you'll be far more likely to be successful. Yeah. And that's kind of what we feel like Adverter gives people the space to do that rather than a salesperson saying, you know, like to your, your example earlier, like, you know, like if you sell radio, somehow radio is the cure for everything. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's a solution for all, all that ails my business. So to that end, how? Uh, give me just a little briefly on how people can sign up, try it. Uh, how does it start? How do they start to engage with you? Sure. You just go to adverator.com or the, the more easy to remember URL is localadsmadeeasy.com. And it's a store. The first thing it's going to ask you to do, the only thing that's unique about it at all is that the store like is is automatically updated and customized for you. So the first thing you do is you simply say what market you're in. Again, you choose from about 109 local markets. So if you're in Denver, you choose Denver and then it just bubbles to the surface. Here are the magazine advertising options for you. Here's the out of home, here's the direct mail, here's the website advertising. Um, and, and you shop it the way you would shop for something on Amazon. You can pull things up, you read all about it, you compare them. Um, and, and again, one of the things that's unique about Adverator that was sort of like a, a you know, a, a tried and true rule of advertising that nobody ever wanted to break was this concept of, well, you'll only get the lowest prices if you buy a lot of frequency, right? Right. Like you want to run one ad, you're going to pay a heavy premium. If you want to run 20 ads, we'll give you a deal. And Adverator has negotiated with all of our media partners that everybody gets the lowest price. Mm. So that's why we can do things like, you wanna do direct mail in your neighborhood to just you know, the 243 houses around your, your area? You can do that, there's no minimums and it's like you know, under $200 to do that. Yeah, great stuff. All right, Ben, let's take a um, back a personal turn here and as we start to wrap it up. Um, I'd like to ask you, if you think back to a decision that you've made in your life, um, there might be many of them, but one that stands out that you think has had great impact now on your current life and your business. 
Yeah, I, I probably have to say, like, you know, MediaMax was a very comfortable thing for me. Like, we started that business, we we owned it, um, and, you know, again, I'm, my wife may not agree with this, but <laughs> the, the moment for me was when I said, like, is that necessarily enough? Like, is is simply having a stable business that makes money that, you know, has made a comfortable life for me and my family. Is that enough? And the answer that was keeping me awake at night was no, it wasn't enough. Like I, I, I felt compelled to sort of unravel this Gordian knot of local advertising. And uh, so for me that, you know, that moment was when I really kind of, I kind of thought about it in terms of like a Wikipedia page. Like if I'm looking back in this, is this, is, is what I'm doing now really the final chapter? And I'm not young, you know, again, you probably figured out, like I went to college in the, in the 80s, so I'm, you know, I'm 53 years old. And I sort of made the leap to do this big thing because I felt compelled to do it because I think it's a business that needs to exist. You know, I feel like it, it offers real value for small business people at scale. Yeah, that's great. I want to talk about creativity for a moment because I, I believe that's a, a focus for you. You consider yourself a creative person. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, did you always feel like you were in touch with that creative ability or is it something you've had to nurture and bring back out? Oh, that's a good question. No, I think, I think I've always been a creative person. I think that, I think that in terms of like introspection, the thing that I realized it, you know, at some point in my life was when I looked up and said, I'm very happy right now, what am I doing? It was when I was creating things. And so whether that was a new business or, you know, a new program or something when like, that's when I really felt fulfilled and happy was when I was creating something. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I'm a big believer in like, not, and for a lot of people, it's not creativity, but if, you know, when I, when I'm interviewing prospective employees for Ivory, one of the things I'll ask them is think about a great day that you had at work and tell me why it was great. What was it about that day that made you feel so great? And it's very revealing for people to do that exercise because it helps them figure out like, well, I mean, sometimes, you know, some people say a great day was when I made a lot of money or a great day was when I helped a friend who was down, you know, figure something out or, you know, whatever. A great day was when I created an amazing flyer for my business. Um, and I think that's, that's kind of how like that's how that's how creative creativity speaks to me like a great day is when i can spend a whole big chunk of it like creating something new working with the development team here working with the marketing team here to like to we're, we're all high-fiving at the end of it because we've we've built something that we think people are really going to love to use yeah great insights thanks for sharing that what do you love most about what you do today uh, probably that you know again yeah. my Getting, getting I, I to create every most days you get to create. Is that what you love most about what you do today? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the days that I do and I also I, I you know, again, I'm I'm working with a really smart group of people here. Like, you know, again, with all all age ranges, you know, where everything from me is the <laughs> as the senior most statesman <laughs> to, you know, 24 year olds that uh, that are really, you know, they get to they get to work with live ammo. They really get to like touch things every day that will will come to life. Um, and that's that's what I love the most about it. Love that. All right. Uh, a book a recommendation that you uh, have read recently or in the past that you would recommend to our listeners. Well, I will tell you that um, 
you know, and I didn't go to business. I did not go to business school, but a lot of people that I've worked with over the last years did. And I've, I often ask them that, like, what's the thing that I should read that'll help inform my my point of view about business? And uh, there's a book called The Four Steps to the Epiphany, um, which is brilliant. And there's a, actually a, like a, a sort of cheat version of it called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Customer Development that I think every business person should read no matter how big or small their business is. Like, I think it's, if you read that, it, it helps you really like lock in on and come to terms with why am I doing this? And one of the things that they say right out of the gate is if you're doing it just to make money, it's going to be hard to be successful. And I know that motivates a lot of us out of the gate, you know, but if at the end of the day, like, you know, like that's, you really have to think about money, from my perspective anyways, that money is a, is a KPI, like money is a result, money is not the reward. So that, let me just go off on that because um, I struggle with that one. I, it's not that I disagree with it, it's just I try to make it realistic because there's gotta be a business model that makes a profit. How do you balance that? What, what does that mean to you? Is it that, is, is it the creative part? In other words, how do you, not have that be first and foremost? Because when we wrote our original business plan and having written enough of them, I could kind of get my head around it and, and, and know where, where it should go from the beginning. And one of the things that we put, that we baked into the business plan from the very beginning was that, that um, profit was not the end result. The end result was to build an amazing business that is profitable. And that helped us make decisions. So like, for instance, when we were starting Adverator, like a full page ad in Vogue magazine for a dress shop in Seattle is like $1,600. Now I could charge $2,900 and have fewer people buy it, but make a lot more margin on that. And if my only, if my only intent was to make money, and to like maximize margin and profit, then that would have been the direction that we took in the business. But then think about all the dominoes that fall after that. Like, well, if that's the case, then don't make it available to so many people, make the price higher, maximize margin. And pretty soon you start making decisions that are less, less about building a business that actually serves the community and helps them and much more about a business that serves you and helps you. And again, having done that a few times and lived through that a few times, I know what that looks like at the end. Like having a business that's very, very profitable that puts a lot of money in your pocket is, it's a good thing, but it's not the ultimate reward because it doesn't give you ultimately satisfaction. And, and again, I think a lot of people know this, you know, that you look up and say like, All right, it's money, but like, why does Mark Zuckerberg go to work every day? Like he's got all the money he's ever going to need, but why does he go to work every day? Because that wasn't ultimately the goal. And it's far, far easier to stay motivated by things that like, by creating things that will help people that you think, you know, like add value to our ecosystem or our society than it is to just figure out how to make a buck. Yeah. Love that. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing there. So wrap it up with this last question, last uh, parting piece of advice or thought for our listeners. Um, you know, I, I would say this, like, at, at the end of the day, I, I guess you need to look at your business from the standpoint of does it make you proud? Like if, if, if the thing that you're building, 
if it makes you proud, even if it doesn't make you money yet, if it makes you proud, it's really easy to get out of bed in the morning and take that next step. And if it doesn't, then that might be the part to take a closer look at. And I know that's easy to say, you know, at you know, a certain point in, in, in one's career. Um, but I will say that when that's probably one of the things that I've really learned from the millennials that I work with here is that they're less motivated by by external things and far more motivated by internal things. And as I've like <laughs> kind of cut through my own baggage to like to lean into that and really hear what they're saying, um, I see there's a lot of value to it. And, uh, you know, it's that, that, that if, if that's really what speaks to you, then like whatever the next decision becomes very easy. Like if, I, if that makes me proud to do that, then then we should do it. If it makes me not proud to do it, then I should probably listen to that, you know, that, that, that voice in my ear. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it resonates with me, resonates with me completely because that's the way I look at things at least here in the last three or five years, is that I'm going to put everything into it. I'm going to create it so it represents me, whatever it is that I create. And then there's only so much I can do when I put it out there as to how the market will react. But regardless of how the market reacts to my product or service, I know that it represents the best of me. And that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's that's your immortality. Like, in this, this podcast that you're doing, like, this is... Like this is a tremendous service and value that you offer to small business people that they can kind of come and hear from you and learn from you and from your guests. And like, that's, that's amazing. Like that's like, that's doing the right thing. And, you know, and again, I'm not religious. I'm not even spiritual. Like I, I don't tie any of this back to, you know, to that type of thing, but I do tie it to you know, like when it's all over at the end, if you can look at what you've done and say, I'm proud of it. Like I, I, I made decisions that, that, I'm proud of that helped do something that helped move, you know, some part of business society or whatever forward, then that's a good measurement. Agreed. Tell us Ben again, where we'd like people to go to find out more about you and Adverator. Sure. So you can read all about Adverator and my team at adverator.com. It's a, it's like generator, but with adver on the front. So a D V E R a T O R. Um, Henry, you and I talked about this in like an earlier conversation, but the the genesis of the name was, you know, advertising as a machine, like how to like generator, facilitator, illuminator, adverator. That's kind of how we remember it. Love it. And we'll have links to that as well as to the book recommendations. All those links will be on the show notes page for this episode at thehowofbusiness.com. Ben, this has been fascinating. I could go on for another couple of hours. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to share, share your story, share your knowledge, and to be with us today. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we would welcome and thank you for subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.